Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hey there, this is Ralph Velasco back with another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm currently back in my hometown of Chicago after two and a half months of travel, leading groups to India and Cambodia, and spending some extra time scouting in Sri Lanka. Of course, Ugo is with me on the show this week, and he's just back from leading what sounded and looked like an amazing trip to Oman, and he's in his hometown of Milan. Happy holidays to you, Ugo. How are you? Happy holidays to you. I'm doing great. As uh, you said, I'm relaxing here home between uh, in between trips. And actually, today and tomorrow, I'm uh, meeting with some couple of friends from the Netherlands. They came to visit. Actually, one of them was uh, a guest on the show, Benjamin van der Speck. So, hi, Benjamin. I'm uh, <laughs> showing them my, my hometown here. And uh, just having some Italian food together with them. That's what I'm doing these days. <laughs> Ooh, I Aside need to, from uh, spending time with the family, of course. Yeah, I, I need to uh, get, get on your schedule to do that someday. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we have a special show for you as we have one of the biggest names in photography as our guest. You're all probably familiar with him, and it's Scott Bourne. Scott and I met for the first time in person a few years ago when we were both speaking at the Out of Chicago Summer Photography Conference. Uh, as someone who's been in the industry for more than four decades now and uh, presumably has seen it all, uh, he has a bit of a reputation for speaking his mind and telling it like it is. So <laughs> I was somewhat reluctant to approach him and introduce myself when I saw him at the show but he couldn't have been more pleasant or a nicer guy. And so I uh, couldn't wait to uh, invite him onto the show. Uh, here's just a bit of background about Scott, and uh, we'll certainly ask him to, to fill us in if any blanks. But uh, Scott Bourne is president of U.S. operations at Skylum Software, formerly MacFun, and an Olympus visionary and a professional wildlife photographer, author, and lecturer who specializes in birds. Uh, he's one of the founders of This Week in Photo, founded photofocus.com, and is co-founder of the Photo Podcast Network. Scott is a regular contributor to several photography-related blogs and podcasts, and his photography has appeared in more than 200 books and magazines. He is a trainer at both thinktaplearn and lynda.com, and is the author of 11 photography books. Wow. And Scott has been kind enough to offer us three full licenses for the Luminar and Aurora HDR software programs. And all you have to do is go to ttim.photo slash 110 to enter there. And you can uh, have a really good chance of winning one of these license codes. Welcome to the show, Scott. Now, as for me being a big name in the photography business, I just got to find out, is that a fat joke? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Because I resemble that remark. I am. You left out one important thing. I'm president of the Horizontally Challenged Photographers of America. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I forgot that you have a very good sense of humor. <laughs> well, when you live in this body, you have no other choice. Come on. No, really. Welcome very to the show. Very happy to be on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and congratulations on more than 100 episodes. As a podcaster myself, I know that there is a ton of work that people don't see that goes into these things. So congratulations. Yeah, it's, oh, great, to, it's great to have you here. And especially, I think uh, yours was one of the first podcasts that I that I listened to when I, when I started listening to photography podcasts. So you've always been an inspiration and also helping me start this podcast here. I mean, oh, wow, following that's great. your footsteps. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> it's, it's been well, a great well, inspiration. You know, it, it's always cool to see other people jump into this because I've gotten so much out of photography, podcasting, and I've met people all over the world because of it. So I'm sure that experience is going to happen to you guys if it hasn't already. It's happening. I mean, it's it's brought us, uh, you know, brought you here on the show. And, and I, I reiterate what Hugo says. I was a listener of This Week in Photo way back at the beginning and uh, listened to it religiously. So uh, it's just an honor to be a part of this this uh, podcast world. <laughs> so, cool. So, Scott, uh, Ralph mentioned that you are an Olympus visionary. Wouldn't would you like to tell us what does that mean in practice? And uh, uh, I think I know Olympus means uh, most, uh, for the most part, micro four thirds as a system, so mirrorless system. Uh, why the decision to move such a system, especially for the kind of photography you do? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just tell you that how it actually came down. This is the actual way it happened, not the. 74 internet versions you might hear about it but i was uh, very simply the victim of 11 shoulder surgeries over my long career if you carry a big giant dslr with a big giant tripod and by the way most of those years they didn't have carbon fiber or tripod so it was always the heavy stuff a big gimbal head and an 800 millimeter lens and you carry that on your shoulder like an idiot which raise his hand i did uh, you end up with 11 shoulder surgeries and on the 11th one my doctor who uh, happily told me that he was not only the most expensive orthopedic surgeon in the Northwest, but the best, said, I can't fix your shoulder anymore. You're done. So your choices are be a cripple for the rest of your life or put down that stinking camera. And I, of course, you know, if without a camera, I'm completely worthless. Uh, I have ex-girlfriends that will tell you I'm completely worthless with it. But in any event, I, <laughs> I just, you know, I didn't have a choice. I was just literally depressed i was what am i going to do and that week olympus announced the omd em1 mark ii and promised tracking autofocus that works well you see i picked the hardest thing in the world to photograph i photograph birds now in case you didn't notice birds can fly and they generally don't want to be anywhere near you when you approach them so i photograph a subject that doesn't want to be photographed that can oh yeah fly so I have to have tracking autofocus. It's not something I can fake. It's not something I can hope for, wish for. It has to happen. And, of course, up until the OMD EM1 Mark II, the truth about Micro Four Thirds was is a spectacular camera system that was good for everything but birds in flight because it could not do tracking autofocus. All the original autofocus systems for Micro Four Thirds and all, almost all mirrorless cameras was simply contrast based autofocus so it simply wasn't fast enough so i thought well you know what's the worst that can happen i had a lot of olympus gear because i had already been shooting olympus for almost everything else because i just really liked the compactness of it i like being able to travel stealthily and not be identified by 
you know, the, the, the see something, say something people that want to call Homeland Security because you're taking a picture of a building or something. I love the fact that I was thought of as a tourist whenever I had a micro four thirds camera and not a quote unquote pro photographer, which was suited me just fine because I didn't want to make any imprint as a photographer. I wanted to record what I was seeing, but I couldn't use it for birds. So I went ahead and bought one of these things. And yes, I bought it. I paid for it with my own money. They didn't give it to me. I bought the first one at Kenmore Camera that they got in here in Seattle. And I ran out and I tested it and I started to get pretty excited because it seemed like it worked. So I went down to San Francisco and went down to San Jose to Palo Alto Baylands just specifically to test the camera because there's birds there in the time of year that that camera came out. And it was working. And I thought, man, this this might save me. So I didn't sell all my Canon gear yet, although I really wasn't supposed to be picking it up. But I, I, I got pretty excited about it. And then in January, I usually go to La Jolla Cliffs because the California brown pelicans are in breeding plumage and the Brant's cormorants are there and they're, they're really pretty. So I thought, I'm going to really take just this system and see what happens. And I came away just gobsmacked by both the image quality, the tracking autofocus. And at that point, I made the decision I was going to switch. I still was under contract to shoot a few things for Tamron. Uh, and so in my March Eagle trip, I go to Mar uh, Alaska every March to photograph eagles. I did shoot a, a few images with uh, my DSLR and the Tamron, but I spent most of that trip with the Olympus and knew that that was it. Because during that trip, I got a shot, which has kind of become my hero shot with this camera. It was a bald eagle flying straight at me with a fish in his talons. And anybody that knows about autofocus knows that the hardest thing in the world for an autofocus to do is to track a subject moving straight at the camera. And in this case, I nailed it. And, you know, there's no way to cheat this, this thing. It either works or it doesn't. So I proclaimed to the world my love affair with Olympus. And, you know, a couple of months later, they contacted me and said, hey, would you like to be a visionary? And that just means sort of like a Canon Explorer of Light or Nikon Ambassador. I'm just somebody that they recognize. And I'm deeply honored. It's probably the highest honor I've received in my photography career. And they're incredible people. And so now I'm very closely associated with them. I know them. I get to work with them. I've been to the headquarters in Pennsylvania. A finer bunch of people you will never meet. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Olympus for life. I'm very happy with it. Uh, there were, by the way, there were six foot by nine foot prints from that camera hanging at Photo Plus Expo in New York. For anybody that thinks you can't print big from a micro four thirds camera, I would direct you to that uh, that image to say, if you need it bigger than six foot by nine foot, then yes, this isn't going to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the long answer, but it's a very deep question. It's a very good answer. Uh, but you mentioned uh -huh. uh, like having a 800 millimeter lens on your Canon system. Do you find the equivalent kind of glass for the Olympus system? Yes. Well, of course, now this will start a, a can of worms. So I'll use the careful nomenclature to say field of view. I can match the field of view of an 800 millimeter lens. In fact, I can beat it with the Olympus 300 F4 Pro lens, which has the same field of view as a 600 lens. And the Olympus 1.4 teleconverter, I can get the field of view of 840 millimeters. But what I can do with that that I can never do with my Canon is I can hand hold that sucker at 190th of a second and get a tack sharp image. Yes, that's right. First of all, the number of times that I handheld the Canon 800 at any shutter speed would be zero. <laughs> this is too heavy. <laughs> I'm sure some of the younger guys in the audience might be able to do it, but I couldn't. Uh, but I can hand hold the OMD M1 Mark II with 
840 millimeters field of view, and I can handhold it all day, and I can shoot it at 190th of a second because of the sync IS on those things. And let me tell you, when it first happened, even I didn't believe it. <laughs> so I printed a big 30 by 40 of the first shot I tested. I was like, oh, my God. This actually works. So, yeah, I regularly shoot around there, and I'm sure somebody steadier and stronger than me could shoot at even slower shutter speeds. I mean, that's incredibly impressive. Um, wow. Uh, you know, you're one of the top bird photographers in the world, and I always say that birds and flags are some of the hardest subjects to shoot <laughs> because yeah, they're always are. moving. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, talk to us about the importance of understanding your subject in this particular case, the amazing variety of birds that you photograph. I mean, are there big differences between the types of birds, their behavior and how you approach and photograph them? Well, yes. And uh, thank you for bringing this up, because frankly, I don't care whether you're a bird photographer or a sports photographer or a people photographer. You really need to know your subject. If you want to get good images, because that's the secret. Let's let's talk about sports. Uh, you know, I have a friend, Jim Bryant, shot for all the Seattle newspapers for years. If he's shooting the Seattle Mariners and there's a guy on first base, he's got his camera lens pointed at where? At second base. Why? Because he understands the game of baseball. And he knows that the shot he wants is the sweeping tag. If the guy tries to steal base, second, he wants to get that sweeping tag. So he's got his lens pre-focused on second base. Because that's the shot he wants. He doesn't keep it focused on first base where the runner is. He, want, he wants to go where the runner is going to be. And that's the same with me in bird photography. I need to know where the eagle's going to go as best I can. So you have to understand ornithology. And I went back to college to study ornithology because I was that, that intent on becoming really familiar with my subject. And while I get, you know, I get the, the gracious words said about my bird photography – I don't appreciate it. It's really because I'm an ornithologist that I'm good at this because I, you know, I get assignments like go find me an eagle. It's Wednesday. Do it by Thursday. I mean, <laughs> if you ask most people, you know, how many bald eagles have you seen? They're like one or three in their lifetime. You know, I have to be able to go on demand and I have to be able to find them and I have to know what they're going to do when I do find them. And then I get cool little want lists like I'd like an eagle with a jackrabbit in talons, please. Or I'm like an eagle with a, a salmon in its talents. Like they're not even saying fish. They want like, like, like hey, what kind of salmon? Would it like be sockeye, copper river? Do you care? Uh, <laughs> this is my world, people. You think it's yeah. tough dealing with brides? You ought to be a bird photographer. Anyway, it, it, it's it's all about understanding your subject. You're photographing CEOs. You need to know what their business is. You need to know what their interests are. You have to be a very very wide wide-ranging person to be a great photographer in my opinion you have to know a lot about a lot of things to get good at this and the photography part frankly is the easiest part with birds you have to know ornithology and and ralph more to your point the difference between photographing eagles and songbirds is quite vast for one thing eagles are bigger so that makes them easier mm. the second thing is that songbirds are much more flighty because they are way down on the food chain from eagles <laughs> so they're scared of everything <laughs> <laughs> they're much harder to photograph and this is why i am an eagle uh expert because they're easier <laughs> <laughs> 
That makes so much sense. I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's similar, you know, like you say, it's not just birds, obviously, or even wildlife, but with travel photography and, uh, you know, human subjects and knowing what they're doing, what they're probably going to be doing and uh, anticipating where the shot's going to be, where that moment is going to happen, when it's going to happen. And, and to me, that's what I love about travel photography is that anticipation and and nailing it when you do which um, you know as you get better hopefully those percentages increase but still there it's a it's that little nugget that you get every now and then yep i agree yeah i'm looking at your uh, website here uh, your blog and you have an which is an impressive collection of of resources especially educational resources and um, I'm looking at particularly at the post, which uh, is titled, What are the two hardest things about bird photography? And you mentioned having the patience and waiting on the birds. So uh, can you tell, a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit more about those uh, difficulties? And maybe you have some inter- interesting stories or funny stories to tell that relate well, to the topic. I love the questions. You guys are giving me like really rich, meaty questions. Thank you. Um, yeah, th- this is really the super secret to bird photography is patience. This is it. I mean, and I think it's the secret to life. I like to make a lot of metaphors about bird photography, but I'm actually talking about life most of the time. But if you can learn to wait on the things that you want, they'll almost always come to you. But if you chase them, you'll almost never get them. And I'll, I'll actually tell you where I learned this. I learned this. It's a saying from my grandfather. He used to say, Scotty, don't chase women or money, because if you do, you'll find neither. Instead, chase your passion, and the women and money will find you. And he was right. So I recommend patience as the one thing that none of us has to pay money for, that we can all get more of. And I'll just illustrate how it works in bird photography. There's a place in southern Arizona, well, central southern, uh, near Phoenix, called Gilbert Water Ranch. It's a riparian reserve. And it's, uh, it's got a lot of birds. And a lot of bird photographers come there just to photograph the birds. And I went there for the first time and I came out of the parking lot and I saw a bunch of cactuses, saguaro cactuses, or is that cacti? I'm not sure which. Anyway, uh, multiple cactus uh, there. And in every cactus in Arizona, there will be bird's nests. That's just the way it is. Lots of birds make their nests in the cactus. And there were a bunch of flicker nests in this one cactus. So I always bring this little thing called a walk stool. You can buy them at B&H. They're about 100 bucks. It's folds up and fit in a briefcase, but it is a chair capable of holding a very large bird photographer like me. And I never pretty much go anywhere with that because a lot of my life is spent sitting on this little chair outdoors waiting for something. And this is the best life I can imagine because in the course of sitting there on that chair in nature waiting on something, I get to observe everything that most people don't when they're driving around in their cars. I get to observe the way the air smells, the way the wind feels on my face, the way the sound of the wind rustling through rustling through the, the trees. I get to have a great life sitting out there. And if I'm there 10 or 15 minutes in most cases, a bird will come visit me. And this is the real secret. While I was at this particular place, Gilbert Water Ranch, there were all these guys showed up with their 600s and their 800s, and they're kind of scurrying about. Oh, my gosh, I saw this. I saw that. And they're, they're running around, moving from place to place so quickly that I wondered what it was they were actually trying to photograph. And there were some beautiful 
common starlings, European starlings in breeding plumage in this area. And when they're like that, they're just like a giant kaleidoscope of color instead of the normal black or brown or gray that you might see. And I knew that they'd be hitting these nests because they're opportunists. This is, again, where my ornithological background comes in. I know that they're going to hit these nests. I know they're going to raid these these flicker nests. So I just set my stool up on sun angle. The sun has to be behind you when you're a bird photographer. And I checked the wind, and luckily for me, the wind was coming from the right direction since birds take off and land into the wind. Uh, you want the wind in the best case scenario, the wind behind you and the sun behind you, but you don't want the wind in your face because then you're just going to get bird butt. Uh, I sat there. The wind was in the right direction. The sun was in the right direction. I was there 10 minutes and a flock of starlings flew in. They hit the nest. I got a great hero shot. All these guys that were running around missed it because they were chasing the birds. If you chase the birds, you simply won't find them. You have to wait for the birds to come to you. And this is the hardest lesson I try to teach beginning bird photographers. You just have to sit and be patient. So one of the things I'll also do is look for a cool background. If I see a pond with a really beautiful reflection or something in it, and I'm on sun angle and the wind's in the right direction, I'll put my butt down there for two hours, three hours, four hours. It doesn't matter because I know eventually a duck's going to swim through that color, and I'm going to nail him and make him famous. By the way, I talk to the birds while I'm there in case you ever see me and I look like I'm mumbling to myself. I'm actually talking to the birds and I'm usually trying to calm them into coming over here and say, look, I'll make you famous. Just float, just float right through here. <laughs> Too many That's, hours in the wilderness, maybe. I don't know. Apparently. <laughs> Too much time alone. <laughs> uh, you know, like Hugo said, you, uh, your, your blog, your website is a, a great resource. And, um, you know, people need to go there. We'll certainly put a link in the show notes. But under that education tab, you've got, uh, as a, an avian photographer, some more, uh, you know, much more expected type of blog posts, things like how to make bird portraits, ten and. 10 down and dirty tricks for bird photography, which if, if anyone has an interest in this type of photography, it's uh, great information. But you also talk about more general topics such as 10 things be beginning photographers should know, 10 typical mistakes photographers make, the five basic steps to making a successful photograph, which of course is also great information. But you also get into some sort of zen and yeah. uh yeah and i love it and uh so one of your posts is 10 tips to being a happier and better photographer and uh you know what are one or two ways that we can become happier and better photographers well this is a very important post i just wrote that last week because you know holiday time can be sad for a lot of people and i i i'm present to that and i want to i want to try to encourage people but you know we, we can't be good photographers, Ralph, if we're not happy in our own lives. It's There's an old saying that I mentioned in this in the blog post. You'll hear it from Rick Salmon. And in fact, if you were out at Chicago when we were both speaking there, Rick said this when he was given his presentation. The camera looks both ways. So this actually comes from Freeman uh, Freeman's, his quote. Uh, he, he actually is the guy that made it, but many people have made it famous since. And mm -hmm. And when you're unhappy... The pictures you take of people, they're going to look unhappy. <laughs> if you're smiling, the pictures you take of people, they'll be smiling. It's really simple. It works. I've tested it for decades. Nobody can convince me it doesn't work. Whatever you're feeling inside is going to translate to your images. So you got to be happy. That's sort of like the first step to making great photographs. 
So I just think it's really important, for instance, to stop comparison. The Internet has been really good to me, and I can't say it's evil or anything like that, but it also does create problems. People will say, well, he has a better camera. He has a better lens. Now all of a sudden mine's no good. And if you think back to, you know, our lives before the Internet, we, you know, we knew what the people in our neighborhood had. And because they were in our neighborhood, it was pretty much the same stuff we had. So we didn't think we were missing anything, whether we were rich or poor. So everybody was happy, right? You know, but now you're comparing yourself based on what everybody in the world has. So I think comparison is a really evil thing. And I wish wish people would stop it. Don't you know, don't don't compare whether you're pretty enough or old enough or young enough or rich enough. Just just enjoy what you have. And part of the other thing on that list is to be grateful. You know, make a list of all the things in your life that you're grateful for, all the people in your life. In fact, I encourage people to do this daily. Write it down. Use your hand with a pen or a pencil, that old-fashioned implement, a pen or a pencil, and write something out by hand. It helps commit it to memory. Say, I'm grateful for my grandma. I'm grateful for my car. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my breakfast. Think like that because I know people like you, Ralph. I've traveled around the world. I've been around the world seven times. And I've met people that have far less than I've ever had and are far happier <laughs> because they are they are practice gratitude. So of the ten things, I'd say those are the two most important. Don't compare yourself and be grateful. Yeah, it's, it's such a great life lesson. Go ahead, Uga. Uh Yeah, I was, uh, was about to say that what you just said resonated with me of uh... – Recently, aside from photography and computers, which are my main interests in uh, in life, so to speak, I've also started reading and listening to people in the realm of what is called maybe self-improvement, if you like. And this idea of, uh, of gratitude, of uh, what they sometimes that people refer to as a abundance mindset. So things uh, with an abundance mindset with means uh, I'm grateful for all the things you I have instead of a scarcity mindset where I'm always thinking of what I don't have and what I might have is is really helpful I think so that that resonated a lot with me and one of the things I I keep hearing is about uh, practices like. Uh, which is constantly thinking about the things you are grateful for. Maybe spend five minutes every day at the end of your workday taking notes about the three things that you are grateful about. And I think this is something that I maybe should start doing myself. (laughs) Uh, Are there any other practices like that that you do daily or something like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a whole bunch of things that I've been teaching for decades, and I personally do them. I look at a photograph... I look at a collection of photographs every day, not my own, that have been published. And I try to ask myself, what was the photographer thinking? Where was the light? Where was he standing? Where was she standing? What were they What were they trying to t- tell with that story? I look at published photographs every single day to keep my eye good. I know a lot of professional writers, and they tell me the best way to become a better writer is to read. So I think this applies in photography. The best way to become a better photographer is to look at lots of published pictures. So I do that every day. Believe it or not, I read a page of my camera manual every day. And I have read a page of my camera manual every day during the last 20 years. I do it every day. Now, I've read through each camera manual (laughs) multiple times. (laughs) And (laughs) you're tempted sometimes to say, oh, well, rear, rear curtain shutter sync. I don't even use flash. I'll never mess with that. Well, guess what? There'll be a time when you do need to mess with it and you won't know how to do it. And the once in a lifetime shot walks by you and you're like, 
oh, I blew it because I didn't know how to do it. But if you've read that page in the manual, you will know how to do it. So I, I read a page in the manual every day, and I take a picture every single day of something. That's really important to put your hands on your camera every day because muscle memory is a factor, particularly with my job, where a bird will come into sight for maybe a second. And that's my that's my time. <laughs> if I'm not ready, if I'm fumbling around with my camera, that second's gone. And the bird says, hey, I was there. You weren't ready. What's your problem? You only needed a, a two thousandth of a second. I was there for a whole second. What's your deal? And, uh, you know, so you have to have muscle memory. So I handle my camera every single day. I read a page of my manual every single day. And I look at published photos every single day. And I have given this exercise to my students for decades. And I mean universally by the thousands they've come back to me and said, wow, after a year of this, I'm 10 times better. That's huge. I mean, uh, that 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 displays such discipline and I, I can totally see how that would be very, very powerful. And, uh, I'm going to start doing and it's that. Free. And, it's free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you can, if you don't have any money to buy books with pictures in them, you can go to the library and look at magazines or you can go on the internet at the public library. I mean, you do not have to have one thin dime mm. to do most of the things that I do every day that make me better. And just yeah. like, you know, world-class baseball and football players still do the basic drills every week. Even though I've been doing this job for 44 years, doesn't mean I can lay down. You know, I have to get busy and I have to stay busy and I have to be a, a very deliberate person. I have to be very thoughtful about my craft. And I try to make every decision, guys, that I make in my life a thoughtful, contemplative one. When you get towards the end of your life and you realize that there are fewer tomorrows than there were yesterdays, you start to say, hey, every decision, even like what I'm going to eat today, uh, who I'm going to speak with, what I'm going to read, where I'm going to spend my time, I may not get to make those decisions for a long time. So I'm going to make sure they're really well thought out and that they're purposeful. I live a very purposeful life and everything that I do, I try to do with great purpose. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, do, do you see yourself uh, working this hard for a long, long time? You know, is retirement on the horizon? Can, can oh, Ralph, you imagine I retiring? I completely suck at retirement. I've tried three <laughs> times. I just, I just, you know, I, I actually was not far from you, Hugo. I was in Monza for a year. Oh, wow. I, I moved to Italy. Are you? Uh, Shooting cars? My, racing cars? Yeah, well, no, my, my actual hobby was racing cars. Uh -huh. My whole life I've been interested in car racing because I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana at the 500. And even though I'm a very large fat guy that was never intended to sit in a Formula One car, I have driven a Formula One car. And I really like oh. racing, so I was there for a while. But even that couldn't keep me away. And no matter what I've tried to do, Ralph, to retire, I just... It, it, I keep getting pulled back in, and I just think I've finally resigned myself to look. The last day of my life, I may be in a wheelchair on the on the boardwalk over there at, at uh, Wakadahatchee in Florida or someplace, and I'll just maybe tip off and fall into the water, and everybody go, what happened to Scott? No one will know. I'll just be sitting there and, and pass away quietly. But I think I'll have a camera in my hand till I die because – it just is so much a part of my DNA, and it literally is the only thing I'm really any good at. So, I mean, I'm good at photography. I suck at everything else. So uh, I, I'm very pretty much resigned to it. And then, of course, it is interesting at this stage of my life. I didn't expect to be relevant, to be honest, but I seem to be more in demand than ever. 
I don't know why, but uh, I just had this great honor of being asked to serve as president of what used to be called Mac Fund, Skylum. That's a real big challenge to make. You know, I thought it was really cool. Here's a software company that makes photography software that wants an actual photographer to help them run the company. So I think I look at that as a pretty sacred calling. I'm going to make sure that that software helps every photographer that touches it. And I'm going to do my level best to make sure that it's 10 times more valuable than what people pay for. If the Scott Bourne of today could talk to the Scott Bourne of, let's say, 40 years ago, aside from maybe take better care of your shoulders, what would he say? <laughs> Save more money for the IRS. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say, ah, this is really hard, but I'll be honest. I would say take better care of the people in your life. You know, uh, if you, being a better photographer means being a better human. And when I was younger, I wasn't too concerned with that. So if the old me could talk to the young me, I'd say, you know, your photography, which is the thing you care about, is going to improve. It's going to improve because you're better to the people around you. So if you're young and you're listening to this and you're at things like out of Chicago where Ralph and I were honored to be asked as speakers or you're at some big convention or you're with your local photo club, look around. Those people, those peers, those people are the people that you're going to know 40 years from now if you're young. And I can testify. Some of my relationships are with some people I've met in the photo industry decades ago. And they're the people that I consider family. So be good to those people because you're stuck with them. <laughs> That's what I would tell young me. Be good to the people around you. Be more concerned about how your decisions, your words, your actions impact others. And all of this we've talked about today does sound very Zen, Ralph, but but, but uh, you brought that word up. But uh, <laughs> But it really is interesting. As I've gotten into the sunset of my life, I've realized how many things that don't appear to be involved with photography directly impact photography. Right. I love the, the Zen quality of our conversation today so many things to to learn and uh, which are important for photography and for life in general so thank you oh my pleasure uh you know uh someone who's been in this industry as long as you have uh, do you have an opinion about where you think the world of photography is headed in the next decade or two well, I have some concerns. I don't know that I'd say their opinions because nobody really knows the future. But, you know, uh, the Instagram uh, effect, I call it, on people making, you know, people will say, well, I, I published a picture. And I'm like, okay, what would you do? I put it on Instagram. And that, that's sort of the end of the conversation for them. And that concerns me because I grew up in an era where we made prints. And I still make prints. And I pretty much make prints daily. And I'm concerned that people aren't printing. And I think that uh, that we could lose a whole bunch of what photography is about if we don't continue to honor the print, the finished form. Um, I, I talked with David Lynch, who is a famous movie director, who's made some very unusual uh, contributions to the film world, including Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. And he was relating a conversation he had with a young man at Sundance who was standing there watching a David Lynch movie on his iPhone. <laughs> and, and as David Lynch walked by, the young man looked up and said, David, I'm watching your movie on my iPhone. And David said he lost his mind. He said, you're not watching my movie. That's not my movie. My movie's meant to be watched on a very large cinema 
that's the way I built that movie. It's to be displayed in a large visual format. You're seeing an approximation of it. You're seeing a, an echo of it. You're not seeing my movie. And that made me think about that's what an Instagram photo is. It's a, a maybe a cell phone size representation of my eagle photographs. But when you saw my eagle photographs in Manhattan, in Javits Center in New York, printed six feet by nine feet. Now, that's the way I envision my eagle photographs. You know, let me ask you, Scott, is that uh, uh, exhibition still there? No, it was only it was only for this one trade show. But this ah, same okay. some of these same images will be on display again in Nashville in a few weeks at Imaging USA because I'm going to be speaking at the Olympus booth there, and they're going to bring a bunch of my pictures. Now, I don't know if they'll bring the six foot by nine foots, but they had a lot of four and five foot prints mm -hmm. that they surrounded the booth with, and they will be there. And uh, so anyone that's in Nashville during Imaging USA, uh, come on by and say hi at the Opryland. Uh, I'll be actually photographing Ralph. And you go, a peregrine falcon on the stage wow. in the convention center. Now, as crazy as that sounds, I've done something like that before. I did it at Javits. I photographed a Eurasian eagle owl, an apex predator, mind you, the largest owl in the world, mind you, on stage inside Javits Center. And I'm like, oh, great, an apex predator inside a convention center in Manhattan. What could go wrong? Uh, <laughs> fortunately, no one had a mouse in their pocket, so... Uh, Nobody was harmed, but now we're bringing the fastest animal in the world to the wow. stage in Nashville, the Peregrine Falcon. They can fly up to 230 miles an hour, which is IndyCar speeds. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to photograph that one. Like, but there will be bird pictures there. And I will also have bird pictures on display at Photoshop World, at Shutterfest in St. Louis. So you can see my big prints places. And, of course, they're in installations around the country and places where folks have been kind enough to buy my prints. I would that's, like to. That's incredible. Sorry, I would Go like ahead. to spend five minutes to ask you about the the meetups that you have at your home there in Washington State. So, who can attend? How can people register for for that kind of experience? Looks like it's an amazing opportunity to work side by side with you on on your home turf. Well, it's it's really informal. We go. I just I'm um, because uh, Skylim is opening their offices in Bellevue, Washington, near Seattle, and we're closing the San Diego office and the Cypress office. We're consolidating there. I'm going to be moving up to Bellevue, and I got a condo up there at a pretty spectacular place called Two Lincoln Tower. And there's all these rooftop gardens, and there's all these cool things to see. You can see the whole Seattle area, Mount Rainier. You can see the Olympic Mountains on a clear day. So once a month, I'm just going to have folks come up to my uh, condo roof deck, and we're going to get together. Only only 30 people can come, unfortunately, at a time. And I'm going to be putting on my Facebook and Twitter account uh, links to an Eventbrite registration and people can sign up. It's free. Just come and and we hang out. And uh, it's not not a big deal. But uh, I just want to get to know more folks in the industry that are interested. And if you're in the Seattle area, you know we're gonna do that about once a month. And the first one I believe is February third. But I'll have some details on that in the next week or so, uh, up on my Twitter and Facebook accounts. Will there be peregrine falcons? No. Well, I can't say that there won't be, but I'm not bringing any. Uh, <laughs> there could be the occasional peregrine falcon flyby, although he would be very lost to fly by Bellevue. But uh, you will see lots of glaucous gulls and maybe an occasional eagle. You never know. That, that area of the country, you can. But uh, I'm not really there to do photography. I'm there mostly just to let people have a chance if they want to shoot. I mean, you know, with being Seattle area, our weather is 
usually somewhere between rainy and not so rainy and maybe just a little bit of rain and somewhat wet. But every once in a while, we're lucky with a sunny day. If it happens to be a sunny day, the view from there is incredible because you can literally see in all three main directions you'd want to see the, the mountains and, and the water. And uh, so if people want to come up and shoot panos of the Seattle skyline, it's a great place to do it. Or if you want to shoot Mount Rainier, but if it's rainy, and you can't see anything. We'll just hang out and eat chips. Should I'm they bring their own? Chips. Should everyone bring their own mice or salmon? That, well, no, that would be against the Washington state fisheries act law. So no, you can't do that. But, <laughs> and no need to bring salmon. We'll have some to eat there. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, Scott, um, you know, I, th I think we're getting towards the end of our time. I know your time is limited. You've got other obligations. But uh, where can people find out more about you online? And we'll certainly put links to the in the show notes. But tell well, us. Well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, you can virtually type random text and reach me. I'm, I'm kind of everywhere, unfortunately. But uh, I'm on Twitter at Scott Bourne. I'm on Facebook at Scott Bourne. I'm on LinkedIn at Scott Bourne. But for whatever reason, I'm on Instagram at Bourne.Scott. The tech kid who works for me set this stuff up. I don't know. But Bourne.Scott is my Instagram. And, of course, my portfolio site where I do occasionally offer some free educational resources. I think I have 33 or 34 there now uh, called ScottBourne.com. That's always there. And, and I am a, a regular guest still on the Photo Podcast Network once a month with my friend Marco LaRousse. I do one show a month with there. And occasionally I pop my head up, uh, did a bunch of shows for Kelby recently, and I've done stuff still at Photo Focus. So, you know, I'm around. Um, you can also just email me, scott at scottborn.com. I answer my own email. If there's something I can do for you, please let me know. I, I, I enjoy helping people. Wow. That's, that's, that's really kind of you to offer to do that. Um, Ugo, anything else at all? No, I think uh, it was a great conversation, as I said before. I love the, the fact that we went beyond the technical aspects of it. And of course, if people are interested in, in shooting birds, they, they should have got a lot out of this, of this conversation. But even uh, the more zen-like topics, I think, were really, really, really great. So I'm really happy we had this. Uh, yeah, and I, I highly recommend people go to Scott's website, which, of course, we'll put links in the show notes and look at that education tab. There's some uh, wonderful posts there, great information. Um, and so uh, I, I enjoyed uh, perusing that for sure. Well, Scott, thank you again very much for your valuable time and uh, look forward to running into you somewhere else in the world. Thanks for being hey. on the show. Thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate you inviting me, and uh, I wish you all the best uh, of luck with the show as you continue, and I'm sure you're helping a lot of people. It was great to have a chance to be on. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Scott. Well, that was another great episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. We sure hope you enjoyed our interview with Scott Bourne. Again, my name is Ralph Velasco, and if you'd like to find out more about me, simply go to photoenrichment.com. You can see all the upcoming tours that I have, uh, especially I have a couple great Cuba trips coming up in March, uh, Morocco and Spain early in the year. But uh, you can also follow me on all the social media networks at Photo Enrichment and at Ralph Velasco. How about you, Ugo? Where can people find out more about you online? 
uh, as usual, uh, you can just go to my website, ucphoto.me, or just uh, search for my name on Google, Ugo Che, uh, U-G-O-C-E-I, that's easy. Um, not a very common name, so I'll be the first one that pops up in the search results. And uh, for all our listeners, if you want to, to support our show, the best thing that you can do is to uh, share it with your friends and followers. Just go to ttim.photo and uh, share any of our episodes. And in particular, if you want to uh, share this episode, go to ttim.photo slash 110. And remember to enter the giveaway. Uh, Scott has generously decided to donate uh, three licenses each of uh, Luminar and Aurora HDR. All you have to do is to go there, enter the giveaway, and the more you share, the more chances you have of winning one of those copies. We have a, a two-week period. The, the giveaway will uh, run for two weeks, so you can share every day for more chances of winning. 